Trevin Wax writes this. Recent studies reveal 91% of Americans agree with this statement. So here's the statement. The best way to find yourself is by looking within yourself. So in other words, if you want to discover who you are and what your purpose is, the place to look is inside your heart. So when I googled the phrase, follow your heart, 13 million results came up. Well, here's some other common catchphrases that really make up a creed embraced by probably billions of people around the globe. Go with your gut. Do what's right for you. Pursue your dreams. Believe in yourself. And these next two, I'd ask Pastor Kyle for help on. I wasn't familiar with these. You do you or you be you. Now, we might expect these kinds of sayings from those who don't follow Christ, but many best-selling books written for the Christian market espouse similar teaching. One very popular author makes this statement, and I quote, Trust your good little heart. (laughs) Another well-known author who professes to be a Christian goes even further, and this is actually hard to hear. It's even hard for me to put these into words, but these are her words. Quote, Maybe Eve was never meant to be our warning. Maybe she was meant to be our model. Own your wanting Eat the apple. By the way, that author's most recent book has sold over one million copies. So in essence, she's saying sin is no longer what's wrong with the world, but rather it's our unrealized desires. Now, friends, brothers and sisters, this must be corrected because this is blatantly unbiblical. Now, this is the dogma of Disney. It's not the doctrine of a devoted disciple, or to say it even stronger, those are lies from the pit of hell. So let's listen then to what the Bible says about following our heart. So check out book of Genesis chapter 6 verse 5, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that Every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Ecclesiastes 9, verse 3, Also the hearts of the children of man are full of evil, and madness is in their hearts while they live. Many of you know Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is what? Deceitful. Above all things. There's nothing more deceitful than the human heart. And Desperately sick. Who can understand it? Words of Jesus. Mark 7, 20 to 23. What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For within, listen, words of Jesus, out of the heart of man come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness, So he says it again, all these things come from within. 
and they defile a person. John Bloom writes, our hearts were never designed to be gods in whom we believe. They were designed to believe in God. Don't believe in your heart. Direct your heart to believe in God. I wrote this down. Don't follow your heart. Lead your heart. So in contrast to the pervasive and popular teaching which states life is all about you, all about me, listen to the words of the living word. If you have your Bible with you, there's Bibles in front of you, or feel free to use your mobile device in Luke chapter 9, verse 23. And he, Jesus, said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. Secondly, take up his cross, not just one time, daily, and follow me. As I meditated on that verse, I remembered another quote from Dietrich Bonhoeffer, salvation is free, but discipleship will cost you your life. By the way, after the services last weekend, some asked about the cost of discipleship, Dietrich Bonhoeffer's classic book, uh, and where they could get that. So if you go to Sermon Extras on our website or on your mobile app, there's a link right there. It'll take you uh, somewhere where you can purchase that book. As we've been learning in our discipleship series, Discipleship Matter series, every believer is called to lovingly follow Jesus. Uh, but that's not all. Don't stop there. And to intentionally help others follow him. So we've been talking about discipleship in the home. And this week I saw something on Facebook which caused me to celebrate. It's hard to find things on Facebook that make you celebrate. Well, it was posted by Tiffany Masongar. And I have permission to share this. This is what she wrote. On our way to the dentist this morning, we had to pull over for an ambulance. As we were pulled over, Amelia, her daughter, asked if we could take a moment to pray for the people in the ambulance. So my sweet girl led us in prayer. Amelia is seven years old. And props to her parents, Sean and Tiffany, for intentionally discipling their children. Now, as we unpack this passage, we'll begin by considering the call to follow Jesus, and then we'll contemplate four conditions of discipleship. Desire, denial, death, and then finally devotion. Now, because this verse, these words of Jesus, capture the heart of discipleship, I'm going to preach three sermons centered on just one verse. Now, allow me to read Luke 9.23 again. And he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. <laughs> so if the sermon last weekend was less than 20 minutes long, this one's going to last for three weeks. <laughs> we'll tackle desire and denial today. And next week, death, and then finally, devotion. We see Jesus' call in the first part of verse 23, and he said to all. 
Well, it's a good practice to put the text into context. So if you look up from there, the verses that come before, verses 10 through 17, we read that Jesus withdrew with his disciples for some time alone with the disciples. But the crowd saw where Jesus was going, and they followed Jesus. They showed up, and I'm sure the disciples are like, don't we ever get any time alone with Jesus? So there's crowds of people. So what does Jesus do? He teaches and he heals all day long. It's now dinner time, and the disciples are getting nervous. They're like, Jesus, send these people away so they can find lodging and some food. And what does Jesus say? You give them something to eat. There's 5,000 men there. And it's in that context where Jesus feeds the 5,000 hungry men with a bit of bread and a couple fish. Right after that, Jesus turns to the disciples in verses 18 through 20, and he asks the question. He says, who do you say I am? Peter spoke up quickly, and he declared, you are the Christ of God. Now, they weren't prepared for what happened next. Look at the verse right before the verse we're in this weekend. The Son of Man, Jesus said, must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed. They didn't see that coming. And on the third day, be raised. So after this intense teaching time, which included a public rebuke of Peter, we read about that in Mark chapter 8, Jesus calls the crowd and the 12 together. And the tense for the word said can be translated was saying over and over. So apparently what Jesus is about to declare about discipleship is something he repeatedly emphasized. The word all means the whole, meaning it's intended for the curious crowd and for the committed core. Mark 8.34 fills in some details, calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them. So what Jesus says next is not just for the disciples, but for each and every one of us. These words are for you, and they're for me. We can't escape them. We can't redefine them. We can't ignore them. Nor can we seek refuge in syrupy spiritual slogans. Salvation is free. But discipleship will cost you your life. Would you notice the call to faith is open to everyone, but there are conditions to following Christ. We saw that last week. We, we pointed out the word if, Luke 14, 25, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and brother and sister. So some of the most profound truths come in very small Words. Grammatically speaking, the word if introduces a conditional clause, meaning there are conditions or circumstances upon which certain consequences follow. <laughs> if is one of the first words a child begins to associate with logical thinking and conditional results. Parents reinforce this from an early age, like, Bobby, if you eat your carrots, then you can have some ice cream. Well, the carrots are quickly consumed so that ice cream can be enjoyed. And as one grows, the ifs come fast and furiously as we figure out that we have a responsibility to do something. If you finish your homework, well, then you can go out and play. 
If you complete your chores, you can use the car this weekend. If you take this medicine, it should relieve your symptoms. If you service your car, it will last much longer. Now, I didn't have take the time to count each one, but the word if appears nearly 1,600 times in the Bible. Almost half of the 574 occurrences in the New Testament are found in the four Gospels. So the word if reminds us that it's our responsibility to respond and not be passive. We've said this before. We need to repeat it. You and I will never coast into Christ-likeness. It doesn't just happen the older you get as a Christ follower. You won't coast into Christ-likeness. Consider these examples from Jesus of the use of the word if, Mark 4, 23. If anyone has ears to hear, well, then let him hear. John 7, 37, if anyone is thirsty, well, let him come to me and drink. The reason some don't come is because they're like, I'm not thirsty, I'm satisfied, I'm good the way I am. John eight thirty one. if you continue in my word, then you are truly my disciples. John 14, 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. So if means we have a choice in the matter whether or not we'll make our discipleship matter. Now, let's look at the first conditional demand of discipleship. We could call it desire. The first condition is a person must desire to be a disciple. Jesus said, if anyone would come after me. The phrase would come is the idea of intentionality. It involves an act of the will. It can be translated as desire or wish. So let me make a statement that isn't all that profound, but as you contemplate it, it is. In order to walk with Jesus, you must first want to walk with Jesus. And I wonder if some of us aren't growing because we don't really want to. The New King James renders this clause this way, whoever desires to come after me. New American Standard, if anyone wishes. New Living Translation, if any of you wants to be my follower. So this was not a secret teaching for a select few. No, this call of Jesus goes out to everyone and to anyone, to the curious crowd, those nearby, to the committed disciples, the core, and even to the counterfeit, Judas. Well, these three groups are still present today, right here in this place and those listening online. There are some who are curious about Christ and maybe haven't been saved yet. Many others, the majority, are committed to Christ, while a few have counterfeit faith. Jesus gives the same message to each of these groups. A common misconception in the church is that discipleship is only for the super committed people. It's not for everyone. One pastor captures this misconception. He writes this, if you're a masochist who likes hardship, deprivation, sacrifice, and perhaps even martyrdom, you can sign up for the discipleship track. The other track for us normal people? Oh, that's more sensible. It's a more sensible plan. You can still pursue your dreams for success and personal fulfillment 
And you can generally enjoy the good life and the fellowship of a good evangelical church. Every once in a while, you need to drop something in the offering plate. But don't worry about sacrifice or cross-bearing or self-denial. Here's how he ends. I contend that Jesus taught there is only one track for those who believe in him. Namely, the discipleship track. If you're not his disciple, you are not a Christian. Every believer is called to be completely yielded to Jesus as Lord. Now, with words like that, maybe it makes us wonder, like, I don't know where I'm at. Well, it doesn't matter what you've done or how you've been living. I'm reminded of the song by Michael W. Smith. There's one line in there. Wherever you are at the cross, there is room. Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned. We're all busted. We're all sinners. Acts 10.34, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness through his name. So look at the phrase, come after me. That implies movement of lining up behind the Lord, following him wherever he goes. So we don't walk in front of him and ask him to catch up with us in our ways and our wishes. No, we get behind him so that we walk wherever he walks. We walk after him, not ahead of him. We don't live our life the way we want to live it and then once in a while say, God, would you bless me in what I want to do? No. We follow him and we then walk in his blessings when our lives line up with his word. So here's a question. You have to answer it. You don't have to answer it out loud. Do you have the desire to follow Jesus as one of his disciples? Listen, you won't follow him if you don't want to. One of Beth's sisters years ago made a statement that we quote in our family. I've shared this before, but it's like in our family vernacular. She probably doesn't even know we quote her. It goes like this. People do what they want to do. Well, in the area of discipleship, people do what they want to do. It sounds so simple, but it's true. So some are not following the Savior simply because they don't have a desire to do so. Or because their desire is for immediate gratification and they're living to satisfy those desires instead of living for godliness. So let me say it again. Until you desire to be a disciple, you won't be one. Psalm 73, 25, Whom have I in heaven but you? And there's nothing on earth that I desire beside you. Salvation is free. But discipleship will cost you your life. Let's look next at denial. So the first condition is to settle your desire. Second is to deny himself. This is hard. Jesus said, let him deny 
himself. If this is your desire to follow me, deny yourself. That phrase, let him, puts the responsibility on each one of us. It's intentional. It's not automatic. I appreciate the candor of one believer. Perhaps you'll resonate with this honesty. He writes this, honestly, I don't want to forsake myself. I like me. And I don't want to be told that the one I like the most, I have to forsake. Yet Jesus says that I have to deny or forsake the one person I like best. Everything within us screams against surrendering in this way. To deny is to mean, it means a firm refusal. It's the same word used of Peter denying Jesus. The one Bible dictionary defines denial this way, to disown and renounce self and to subjugate all works, all interests, and all enjoyments. One Bible commentator captures it this way, self-denial is turning away, this is quite a phrase, self-denial is turning away from the idolatry of self-centeredness and every attempt to orient one's life by the dictates of self-interest. Jesus said it rather bluntly, Luke 14, so therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. My good friend, Ben Lovelady, is the pastor at First Baptist Church in Silvis, and he posted something last week which captures why it's so difficult for us to deny ourselves. I have his permission to share this. It's quite deep, so travel with me into some depth here. He writes, A tragic irony of living in a world devoid of absolute truth is not that absolutes disappear, but that they exponentially increase. Every opinion, think of our culture today, Every opinion becomes elevated to that of a Lord. In ancient times, Ben writes, gods were thought to have zip codes. This God being God God over this land and this God over that. Here's how he ends. In our times, the divine zip codes have shrunk to the size of our heads. And I would add, our hearts. Friends, this is hard, but to deny self is a command from Jesus Christ himself. It's an aorist imperative, meaning we're to deny ourselves right now without delay. We're called to make a radical decision to renounce all our own righteousness and to refuse to see self as supreme You know, most of us understand that we've been saved by grace through faith, but do you know that it's God's grace that can help us, equip us to renounce ungodliness as well? For the grace of God has appeared, Titus 2, 11 and 12, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age. 
I appreciate the reminder from Nancy Guthrie. We simply cannot think that we can live the Christian life by following our hearts because our hearts will lead us astray. So denying self is not the same thing as self-denial, like not eating chocolate or going on a Facebook fast, as good as those things are to do. No, it's more than that. To deny self is turning from sin and selfishness and turning to the Savior. Now, having said that, it may involve saying no to some practices, some habits, some relationships that you know are not godly. Stephen Cole writes, we renounce self-exaltation and we live to exalt God. We renounce self-will and we live to do God's will. We renounce self-seeking and we live instead to seek God and his kingdom. Those who follow Jesus repudiate a self-centered life at every level. The Bible commentator Alexander McLaren observes, flagrant vice is not needed to kill the real life. Clean, respectable selfishness does the work effectually. So what does that look like? Well, denying self means I stop thinking I'm always right. I stop living in my own power. I refuse to pursue my own pleasures because I no longer belong to myself. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. Or do you not know that your body, this is a mind blow, our bodies, if you're a born-again believer, the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. Our body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God. You are not your own. Your body doesn't belong to you. You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. Therefore, so glorify God in your body. So in short, I must give up the right to run my own life because I no longer own my own life. I've been bought with the blood of Jesus Christ, and now I belong to him. John Calvin called self-denial the sum of the Christian life. The word deny is the polar opposite of confess. This is an urgent command because if we don't deny self, listen, you could end up denying the Savior. Uh, Just ask Peter. So we must confess Christ and deny self or we'll confess self and end up denying Christ. You will either live for self or you'll live for the Savior. One of the pastors that I greatly appreciate and listen to his sermons, read his books, is Erwin Lutzer. He just retired from Moody Church in Chicago. On New Year's Day, several years ago, he made this post. But there's one resolution we all should make, that we will not begin a single day in the new year without giving thanks to God. That's a great idea. Meditating on one chapter of God's word, that's a great idea. And praying, Father, glorify yourself in my life today. Well, of course. Uh, But would you observe how he ends it? Father, glorify yourself in my life today at my 
intense. Most of us are fine with glorifying God. But we don't really want to do it if it costs us something. Yeah, we want to exalt him, but not if it's at our own expense. Listen, we cannot fully follow Christ and live our lives any way we please. Now, some of you know the truth of what I'm about to say. If you're headed the wrong way, God may send people or problems your way to get your attention because he loves you. Paul David Tripp writes this, God is quite willing to interrupt your comfort in order to reclaim the allegiance and submission of your heart. This week I listened to a song that it's very unusual. It's by Mercy Me. The name of the song is So Long Self. The reason it's unusual, the lyrics describe a man breaking up. So it's like a breakup song, but he's breaking up with himself. Listen to it. Well, if I come across a little bit distant, it's just because I am. Things just seem to feel a little bit different. You understand. Believe it or not, but life is not apparently about me anyways. But I've met the one who really is worthy. So let me say, so long, self. Well, it's been fun, but I found somebody else. So long, self. There's just no room for two, so you're going to have to move so long, self. Now, don't take this wrong, but you are wrong for me. Farewell, oh well, goodbye, don't cry, so long, self. Question, have you ever broken up with yourself? Because there is no room for two. Have you broken up with yourself or are you all about yourself? Is self on the throne of your life or is the Savior? Salvation is free, but discipleship will cost you your life. I close with three questions. Number one, what have you learned about intentional discipleship through this series. If this is your first weekend here, welcome or maybe connecting online. What has God taught you today? This past Tuesday during our staff team time, I asked the staff and I thought you'd want to hear their responses. One person said, I want to be more intentional and look outward. Another one said, to equip parents to disciple their children. Another one said, pass on what others have poured into my life. Still another, look at every day and every opportunity to choose to be a disciple. One person said, be accountable to God. Another one, parents are responsible to disciple their children. The church's role is to support and be a resource. And then check out this last one. Denying yourself opens doors to everything else. So what about you? What have you been learning? Which leads to question number two. Who can you share that with? What have you been learning and who can you share that with? Do so this week. 
And by the way, if you've been stirred by the Holy Spirit during this series and you're like, man, I got to get serious about my growth. I'm going to need some help. I want someone to disciple me. Or if you're like, man, I have been a Christian for a long time. It's time for me to pour into someone else's life. We're having an interest meeting on Thursday, February 25th. Question number three. Have you denied yourself and surrendered to the Savior. Shortly before Robert E. Lee died, he was asked by a young mother to bless her baby. So he took the baby in his arms. He looked at the baby, looked at the mom, looked back down at the baby, locked eyes with the mother, and he said these unforgettable words. Teach him to deny himself. That is all. And he gave the baby back. You know, after I became a follower of Christ, I read a booklet by Campus Crusade for Christ, now called Crew. This booklet has stayed with me for over 40 years. I still remember what color it was. It was blue. The name of the booklet, Have You Made the Wonderful Discovery of the Spirit-Filled Life? Simple illustration depicts the difference between a life that's lived with self on the throne and a life lived with Christ on the throne. I see the bakers sitting in the back. They were on staff with crew. You know this booklet, don't you? It just, I have like a, like a picture of this in my mind from when I was a college student. It helped me and perhaps it'll help you today. Is Jesus on the throne of your life? Or are you on the throne of your life? See, the self-directed life is filled with guilt and worry and discouragement and discord and frustration and fear and disobedience and nothing makes sense in life. While the Christ-directed life, you can see, is more ordered, things are in the proper perspective, Love, life is filled more with love and joy, peace, patience, trust, and obedience. So what about you? Is self on the throne of your life or is the Savior? Remember, don't follow your heart. Lead your heart to follow Christ. Do you desire the Savior above everything else? And are you ready? today, right now, without delay, to deny yourself. We're going to end by taking some time for reflection, and then I'm going to lead in prayer, and I want to give us an opportunity to deny ourselves and surrender to the Christ-directed life. Now, for some of you, you've not been saved yet. Maybe today would be the day of salvation for you. That would be great. So the first prayer will help those of you who are ready to make that decision. But then I want to pray for those of us who've been believers for a while. And maybe self has been on the throne. And you're ready today to surrender to Christ in a fresh way. To rededicate your life to him to make sure Jesus is on the throne of your life. And then when we're finished praying, uh, 
for those of us who are gathered here in person, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand if you made a decision today to either be saved or to surrender your life to Christ. And the reason I'm doing that is because it will help you confess Christ as Lord and encourage others to do the same. And if you're engaging online, you could indicate a decision that you might make on the online connection card. So first, a time of reflection, if you'd close your eyes. So do you desire the Savior above everything else? And are you ready to deny yourself? If you're not sure you've ever been saved, if you have not put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, I'm going to give you that opportunity right now. And I'm going to pray, and if what I pray resonates with you, you could pray these words silently. God, I confess that I've been living for myself. I've been living just to satisfy my needs, my wants, my desires. And I confess that as sin, but even more, I confess that I am a sinner. And I repent from how I've been living. I turn now. I change my mind. I don't want that life anymore. And Jesus, I turn to you because you have died for me in my place instead of me as my substitute. And Jesus, thank you that when you died on the cross, your blood forgives me for all my sins. And it's your blood that is full and final payment, satisfying the righteous and holy wrath of Almighty God. So Jesus, I believe you, I believe in you, but I go a step further today. Not only do I believe, but I receive. I ask you to come into my life. Save me from my sins. And Jesus, thank you that you didn't stay dead. You rose again on the third day, showing that you've conquered sin and Satan and death itself. Jesus, I need that resurrection power to not live for myself any longer, but to live for you and under your authority. Lord, I don't want to just believe and make a decision. I want to be a disciple and follow you for the rest of my life. Change me, form me, make me into the person you want me to be. And now if you're a believer and you know that you've not been living under the authority of Jesus, that your desire to grow has faltered. That instead of denying self, you've been living for self. 
you could pray this prayer with me. God, I confess that I've been selfish, self-centered, focusing on my wants, my needs, my pleasures. God, I've just been doing what I want to do, and I honestly have been more governed by my feelings than by my faith. And so I repent. I turn from that. And I no longer want to be on the throne of my life. Jesus, that's where you belong. And so I submit and surrender to you. I rededicate myself to you and to your purposes so that you would grow me as a disciple and then that you would use me to help others become disciples and then grow as disciples. Jesus, thank you that no matter where we're at today, at the cross, there is room. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you prayed one of those prayers today, would you have the courage just to slip up your hand and say, yeah, I took care of, oh, I see several hands back there. Uh, Last night, there were some over here as well. Uh, That's what delights God when we live the surrendered life.